right, here we come now. Welcome back. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on Ron and Don Radio and ronanddon.com. He's Ron, I'm Don. Gunner's around here somewhere. Thanks for stopping by. It's episode number three, and coming up in about 20 minutes, we are going to have a conversation that is going to blow you away. And I think it's a conversation that Ron and I actually recorded a number of weeks ago. And I think is really going to connect and really resonate with a lot of you, especially if you lost someone that you love, lost somebody that you cared about. And in those final moments, though, you got to say something to them and they got to say something to you and you got to make that human to human connection. That just happened for Ron and his birth mom, Catherine. And coming up in a little bit, we're going to talk to him about what it was like to say goodbye to her. Uh, over the holidays. But right now, we just want to remind you, it's time for Ron and Don's Five Things, brought to you by Ron and Don Brokers. That's right, ronanddonbrokers.com. We are brokers now at Windermere, and we want to help you with your biggest life transaction. If you're ready to buy, ready to sell, go to ronanddonbrokers.com. Ron and Don's Five Things. All right, here we go. They're opening up bars, and I'm going to get your take on this, Ron. They're opening up some bars in New York City. And some of these bars are backed by big alcohol. We've heard of big tobacco, but hmm. I haven't heard of big alcohol. But we know what big alcohol is. Anheuser-Busch, for instance. Uh, they're a part of this. They're opening up bars that are for the sober curious. And in these bars, for instance, sober curious. they call it the sober curious. Huh. This is being pushed by millennials right now. And they say, for instance, in a bar called uh, the Gateway Bar in New York City right now, in downtown New York City, you can buy a carrot and ginger juice uh, in a sober, curious bar that's open till three, 3 o'clock in the morning for about 15 to $16, something like that. They have a, And that's the cheap one. They have a, other drinks on the menu, somewhere between $15, $20, I don't know if you've been to some of the new juice bars that you see over in Kirkland. I was in one the other day. Uh, some of the these, juice. These are non-alcoholic drinks? These are all non-alcoholic all drinks. Right. The juice bar, $25, $27, $30. And usually juice is something you pick up in the morning or maybe something you're driving around and you're having uh, juice after the gym. But now it's something that millennials, as they think about health, as they think about uh, wellness, as they think about their brains, they are pushing back on big alcohol. They are pushing back on binge drinking. Uh, big alcohol right now is losing uh, their place in the market. And as a result of that, they're saying, you know what we need to do? We need to follow the millennials. And if that means opening bars that are non-alcoholic, then we want to be investors and we want to be a part of that. So what do you think is going on here? Is this trendy, or do you think, and this is just something in New York City, or do you think this is something that's going to catch on all over the country? I Well, I think I need to know a little bit more about it, because any place that's not a bar is a non-alcoholic bar. So, you know what I mean? It's like any venue, uh, any restaurant, like, so th- this concept could be anywhere, but I guess if you're saying, okay, we want to build in the social things that happen at bars and then uh, just takes the alcohol away. It's an interesting concept. Here's the thing, though. When I think back to my 20s when I was, or when I was millennial age category, what we think of as a millennial, right. part of the thing about the bar was that you could... Like, I needed a little bit of a, uh, my inhibitions to be lowered. I was very self-conscious 
Like, uh, it was very nervous for me to be, or I was anxious a little bit to be in a social situation. I wasn't like a guy that could just go out and and rip it up on the dance floor. You look like Bono, though. (laughs) I did. You did. Back in the day, you looked like Bono. You looked like Bono. You sang like Bono. But it was a thing where... surprising to me. So I I guess what I'm saying is I think for a lot of people, having uh, a drink, and not people that don't have a problem with alcohol, like, you're not going to binge drink. You just have a drink or you have two drinks. And it, lo- it does loosen you up a little bit. Your inhibitions are loosened up a little bit. You could then, if in, in a sober moment, if you would never go talk to that girl or that guy, you can sort of, you know, the liquid courage thing. Some of those are cliches for a reason. And so I think that's the value of it. And then clearly there's a certain amount of people that are going to drink too much. There's a certain amount of people that, uh, you know, go too far with it. But I think for the vast majority of people, it um, enables them to loosen up and have a little more fun than they normally would. Um, and I don't know if the juice thing is going to accomplish that same deal. It's going to attract a certain type of person, but ah, like, what do you, what about you? You know, what I think is cool about millennials and, and, and I support the millennials and I appreciate the fact cause, and, and I talk about this a lot when it comes to health and wellness, we always think about our heart, but we never think about our head. We never think about our brain. There's something called neuroplasticity and it, it moves like a piece of plastic up there and people don't understand in your brain are train tracks and the neurons that are wired together, they fire together and they can change over time. So if you've drank for an awful long time, you have specific types of train tracks that are in your brain and it takes a while for those train tracks to heal and then you can create new train tracks uh, in your brain and i think i i think what we're finding with millennials we hear words like self-care we hear words like enlightenment uh we hear words like woke that i know a lot of people make fun of but i think what i'm beginning to see and feel is that younger people today just have a better sense of self in taking care of self. And I think this is pretty cool because this could be one way for them to do that. Why not go have a beer on a Friday or Saturday night or go out to a wine bar, but on a Wednesday, nothing wrong with hanging out at the gateway and having a cucumber and ginger. All right, it's uh, the Ron and Don Show. Uh, Coming up, thing number two, and then also we're going to sit down with Ron and talk to him about his late, and I'm sad to say his late birth mother, Catherine. He spent years looking for her. He found her. And what did they talk about over the holidays when we lost her? We'll talk about that coming up in about 10 minutes. It's the Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network, podcast number three. You should buy a shirt. It's the Ron and Don Nation t-shirt. $5 goes toward helping kids. It's cops helping kids. Find out more at ronanddon.com. All right, here we go. Ron and Don's uh, Five Things brought to you by Ron and Don, Brokers.com. We are licensed brokers at Windermere, and we'd love to be a part of your next real estate transaction. If you want to reach out to us, do it. Just write Ron Upshaw at Windermere.com or Don O'Neill at Windermere.com, and we will get back to you. Coming up, uh, we'll sit down with Ron. We're already sitting down with Ron. Hello. We're sitting right now. We're talking to him about uh, his birth mother, Catherine, what it was like to search for her for years. 
and then we lost her uh, over the holidays. A really incredible story. So hang on. That's coming up in just a few short minutes, but let's get to uh, thing number two in the Ron and Don show on the Ron and Don radio. I think you're going to have a lot to say about this, and I'm actually curious because I don't know what you're going to say. And this story takes us to California and then over to Florida. There's a woman named Heather Del Castillo, and she was a uh, a coach. She was into fitness, and she would give out a lot of dietary advice in California. And then she moved her practice to Florida. And it turns out in Florida, they have a different set of rules that you just, not anybody that's just at the gym or is a quote-unquote coach can give out dietary advice. You have to be a dietitian or you have to have a certain certification in order to do this. So she got reported, all right? So someone in that state saw her doling out what they thought might have been questionable advice, uh, and they reported her. And so she's be, she's under investigation right now, and there are uh, talks of her of her license being revoked uh, to work in the in the health industry. So she then is saying, "Wait a second, you uh, this is a violation of my Second Amendment rights." She's got a lawyer. She's trying to take this through the court system there because she believes that you don't need to be have any sort of special designation to give out health advice when it comes to. Eating when it comes to your diet, uh, and there's people in the state of Florida like, no, not so fast. Uh, if someone is obese, if someone is has you know diabetes or certain sort of ailments, you can't just go into the gym or go into someone off a of Craigslist and get dietary advice that could completely backfire. And we've talked about food a lot on the show, or we like, I think I know more now than I used to about how my particular body works, but I wouldn't feel comfortable necessarily doling out that advice. Do you think that people should have to get a special designation like dietitian, which has a certain amount of schooling to go with it to where you could sit down and give out advice to another person on what you should eat, what you can't eat? I think there's so much information and and it's a great question, Ron. What you have to figure out is where the good information's at. Right. You can jump online. It can get very confusing. I tell you, some of the folks that confuse me the most are medical doctors and what we have to understand. Right. Because we always hear, consult your doctor, talk to your doctor, and your doctor always says what? He always says the same thing. You know, you need to sleep more. What you really need to do is you need to sleep eight hours a day. But yeah. The reason I'm coming to see you is because I can't sleep eight hours a day because i wake up every three and a half hours that's why i'm here well you know what you should do is maybe sleep nine if you sleep nine then you're gonna feel really but they don't tell you how but i can't sleep even four so anyway it drives me a little nuts when you go to the doctor and they're a little captain obvious and one of the reasons if you talk to a dietitian and someone that's trained and someone that for instance has a degree in this they will tell you that most medical doctors when it comes to their medical training and all the years that they have spent uh getting their degree Uh, And in residence, they don't spend a lot of time on nutrition. Maybe they spend a week, maybe four or five days, something like that. And so I think it's really important. A lot of us, if you're depending on your medical doctor to give you advice for your diet, especially as you grow older and you hit your 40s into your 50s and 60s, and you're thinking about longevity, uh, the best thing that you can do is go see a dietitian or maybe someone that's a nutritionist. Uh, and as You're so as- right, because I went to my doctor who was Stanford educated, and I said, inflammation foods. I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, wait a second. Right. You're like, you graduated from Stanford. And food makes a big, big difference and when it comes like, to inflammation. And he's like, I think there's no, there's yeah. no definitive study on that. I was like, but it's a thing, right? And he's yeah. like, there's no definitive study on it. It drove would, me crazy. Yeah, and I would try. But I also wouldn't want to just go to some person at the gym that is like a coach 
or as a trainer, like that to me, they're like they're going to tell you about keto or they're going to tell you eat this, don't eat that. Like I also, I, I see some validity in what Florida well, gonna, has done. Who are you going to go to though? Well, like in Florida saying, hey, if you like you can, I could go be a, a quote unquote trainer. It was pretty like, couldn't I just... In Washington know, State, take like a weekend class, and don't now I'm a trainer. Florida. Florida's pretty pretty far away. Right, but I'm saying like, but now the, you're talking about something different. You're talking about working out versus dietitian and what I'm putting in my body. Those are different. But things. No, what they're saying is that like a trainer can't give out dietary advice in, in the state of Florida. You have to have, be have an educated. Designation. Why are we talking about Florida? And, and it's Florida to me is when you talk about Florida <laughs> and you talk about Sweden. Those are always the outliers. So to me. I think you make the point, and I think it's a really good point. If, if you're if you're naturally curious about the things, that, and we have to understand, all our bodies are different too, right? So, for instance, you may be plant based, and that may work for you when it comes to inflammation. I know being more plant based has helped me in the inflammation that was in my body because I felt a lot of inflammation as I got older. And when I eat more meat, I feel more inflamed inside, and there's good reason for that. Uh, other people it doesn't affect that way. It's just mm. you know, my friend Joe, he can eat all the meat he wants to in the world. He doesn't gain weight, and as a result of that, he doesn't feel inflammation from it either if he doesn't eat meat he starts to lose muscle mass he feels like so our bodies respond differently i think as long as people stay naturally curious and just don't and i'm not banging on medical doctors but don't just don't just rely on that once a year medical uh visit to get all the information there's lots of great books there's stuff online there's people to talk to and every once in a while yeah there's nothing wrong with learning something from uh some guy that's working out at the gym or gal and you're like wow i want to look like you yeah anyway hey it's uh ron and don's uh, five thanks thanks for stopping by we really appreciate it and we appreciate you coming up we're gonna sit down and talk about ron and his birth month Catherine. it's a really touching story and we lost Catherine. Over the holidays, we shared a little bit of that before, but haven't shared this story in the way that Ron is going to share it with you. So, if you lost someone you love and care about, I think this story will be very comforting to you. So, stay tuned. It's Ron and Don, episode number three. Thanks to everybody that's listening and subscribing, Ron. We're really appreciative. Absolutely. You can subscribe on any of the major players, Apple, iTunes. I've got this question a lot, and if I can take one minute to explain it, people have said, Hey, Ron, or hey, Don, I started listening to episode two, yeah, and then I had to get out of my car, and I came back, and then it started at the beginning again of the same. How, how come it doesn't remember where I stopped? If that's happening to you, you're not listening in a, in a podcast player. You're just listening in a browser, and it, every time it's going to reload the page and start at the top. So you got to download like the iPod player or uh, the iTunes player or the Google Play player or Stitcher or Spotify. And then when you do that, it will remember where you stopped. So you can get out of the car, you can stop your run, and then the next time you pick it back up, it'll be right where you left off. So hopefully that made sense to people. You, you don't want to be in a browser unless you're going to listen straight through. You want to be in a player. And the same thing with YouTube. You can go to YouTube and subscribe, and then you got to sort of queue it up your yeah. manually. And if you're technically challenged, what I used to do is always call Ron. And now what I do is I just take my – because – Search engines are so great now. Just take your question, put it in a search engine. So, for instance, you're like, well, how do I do what Ron was just talking about? Put it in a search engine, and boom, the exact instructions will come up, follows those instructions. And for me, about two times out of ten, it works, but at least it works. It's the Ron and Don Show, brought to you by Ron and Don, licensed brokers at Windermere on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Ron and Don. 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 Ron. Don.
<laughs> on the Ron and Don Radio Network, man. Okay, how much do I have to pay you for this? <laughs> One dollar. <laughs> <laughs> People are up in arms. Hundreds of people have gone out now, and they've ordered the Ron and Don Nation t-shirt, and they're like, where's my t-shirt? And the problem is, a lot of people think that we are Amazon, and we can deliver things like the next day or the next afternoon or in a drone, and that's how people want their t-shirts, and they expect those to get delivered. I just want people to understand that we are not Amazon. We are Ron, Don, with a little help from Ron's brother-in-law in Nashville. Russ, that's how we're trying to fulfill the t-shirts, right? But we appreciate everybody that's bought a t-shirt. $5 goes towards Charlie Dinosaur helping cops help kids. And so far, with your help, we've raised hundreds of dollars for Charlie's Dinosaur. And you know what? Your t-shirts are on the way. They're going to get to you eventually. Yeah, behind the scenes. Have you heard of Thomas Rhett? Yeah. Country music star? Yeah. We're, we were, Ron and I were trying to bump Thomas Rhett oh. off of the, the printing press. And okay. so uh, we're getting that done. Gilly and Russ are printing them out, and they, they're getting them sent out right away. They're, we're a little bit of back order. All right, sounds good. Hey, coming up, uh, we're going to sit down with Ron. And again, we're always sitting down with him. But we're going to talk to him about his work on Catherine and what it was like to look for her for years and then say goodbye to her uh, over the holidays. Episode number three, thanks for stopping by. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button, right? Yeah, subscribe on any of your platforms. It could be iTunes, it can be YouTube, it could be Google Play, whatever you're doing. Anchor is the one that we're doing uh, that is hosting it, so you can subscribe there, and then you'll just get notified uh, when each episode drops. Yeah. Hey, real quick, we were out with Windermere the other day, and our thanks to Patrick Chin who had us out, and we are out at Green Lake Elementary, and we had some work to do because community service day. So everybody in, in Windermere, the real estate company, they go out, they do community, community service, which I thought was really cool. And I didn't see you for a while. And I was out front working hard and I had paint, I was, I was painting some benches with the guys. And then I, I, I went to the back and you were just kind of standing there by the dumpster with a, with a empty wheelbarrow. Now you looked the part, I mean, you had the glasses on. Uh, you had trash bags coming out of your pockets. You had the gloves on. Uh, you had a you you had a rake standing by. It seems like everybody was working real hard, but Ron the Ron and Don was standing there, just kind of propped up against the dumpster. Uh, what was what what was going on here in community service day? Oh, you you well, you must have not watched me long enough because the, the, what they did is they had a central located dumpster. Oh, okay. And then we had we were pulling weeds and doing uh, improvements around the entire campus. And then you had to bring there were steps everywhere. Yeah. I, I don't know if you noticed this or not. Just flights and flights of stairs everywhere. And so you had to take. And here's the thing that was amazing to me: there are security protocols now for schools so, like, like i don't have yeah i don't have any kids so th- i'm unaware when and again to be old men for a second when we, we were kids you just would go out on the, the playground there was no security like you would have a tire from like a tractor on laying on the ground you might have a piece of metal that's a bar and just go play so go play bars. for 30 minutes and put all the monkey bars come on. back in there's yeah. no gates there's no lockdown people aren't you're not holding hands into a chain yeah. and getting counted back in and out you just went out and played the bell rang you came back in now like we're like hey can we open up this gate to bring in the the wheelbarrows no like the, the, the gate is in lockdown right now if there's kids on the playground then you're in lockdown i was like well how are we going to do this oh you got to go around the truck up those stairs, around the building, come down the other stairs, and over to the dumpster. I was like, 
but if we open this gate, I can just walk right to the dumpster. And it was, it was, it was not a non-starter. So what I was doing is we would fill up the the the, dump, the, uh, the wheelbarrows, have to take it through the pathway, physically lift it up the stairs, around the, the uh, corner, back down the stairs. And so when you saw me take an arrest, yeah, that was because I'd been doing dumpster duty. All day long, lifting uh, these things up the stairs, down the stairs, because the gate security protocol yeah. was, and, and I, I get it. Like, you can't just have random gates opening and closing. I felt bad. I think, I, I, I think as a crew at Windermere Midtown, I, I got to say, I think everybody did a great job picking up garbage. I thought everybody did a great job making the play yard a, a much safer place, because there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff out there that needs to be. Uh, we painted some benches. I hope the kids didn't sit on them because we forgot our wet paint signs and we put them back in the school, so I don't know what happened there. Uh, but we painted them Seahawk colors, so that's pretty cool. I have to say, though, those of us that went out there and started chopping on some of the, the bushes, and I don't know how to say this, and I don't know if you ever landscape like this, but I landscape with a chainsaw, and a lot of times I just get in over my head, and I think I'm going to do some beautiful sculpture or some kind of – there's going to be some dinosaur, there's going to be a duck – it's gonna be it's gonna be like that, and I just end up basically hacking and cutting the whole tree down. And I just want to apologize to the kids at Green Lake Elementary because there's a little bit of that going on after I got done doing some manicuring sure. of the lawn, and uh, that one right there is on uh, Don of the Ron and Don. All right, hey, real quick, uh, coming up, we're gonna t- uh, sit down and talk with Ron about his search for his birth mom and what it was like to say goodbye to her over the holidays. Uh, don't forget, buy a t-shirt. Ron Don Nation t-shirt, $5 of that goes to Charlie's Dinosaur. That's helping cops help kids. And have you heard, speaking of real estate, the Tony Soprano house is up for sale for $3.4 million. $3.4 million. It's uh, 1.5 acres. They have a little master suite. And, of course, they have a guest house. It's four-bedroom. And they say they looked at over 151 homes in New Jersey. And this is the home that they decided that they would recreate. So the inside of the home, they had a replica that they recreated. And that's where they do all the shooting inside. And then on the outside. Like uh, the, when Tony Soprano walks into the pool, that's the actual house. Yeah, they would they would return every year and they would film the outside house. Unlike the Brady Bunch, for instance, you go in the Brady Bunch house and the interior of the house doesn't look like that at all, just the exterior of it. And they shot it for the pilot and that was it. The Tony Soprano house, you go inside, you're like, whoa, this is Tony's kitchen. It's kind of cool. I don't know about you. I don't think I would want to live in that house. And we saw this with Walter White's house. And oh, the Breaking Bad house gets pizzas thrown on it all the time. All the time. I would not want to live in that house. The lady that owns it in New Mexico has put up fences. I think the house is now for sale. It drives her absolutely nuts. She says over 100 people stop by to t- in the age of selfies, right, to take a selfie. Every day? Every single day. Wow. So that has become one of the most photographed houses along with the Brady Bunch house. And then the Fuller House houses in San Francisco. Uh, the Tony Soprano house, I think it ranks ninth somewhere around there. So $3.4 million. I don't think it's if worth you, more because if you're of the Sopranos. Like, if you're looking to live like a mobster. They say it's not worth $3.4 million. Right. Uh, Zillow has it down in the two somewhere. Uh, but the gentleman, the couple that owns it, they think because of the intrinsic value of the television show, they should be able to get that. You never know. Like with the Brady Maybe. Bunch house, I think TV Land uh, uh, went in and bought it. So you could always do something like that. 
Coming up, uh, what are we going to talk about? Sit down with Ron. He's sitting here right now talking about his birth mother, Catherine, and search for her, and then what it was like to say goodbye to her. We're going to talk death with dignity in Washington State and in California. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don. Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com. All right, so the uh, Ron and Don Show drops every uh, Monday, about 8 a.m. Find everything at uh, ronanddon.com. A lot of people uh, have tuned on, tuned in the first couple uh, episodes of our radio show and our podcast because they want to find out what happened at Cairo. And yet, what happened at Cairo, in some ways, pales in comparison about some of the things that happened in our personal life at the same time that we were dealing with, well, basically what you read in the Seattle Times and what you saw on the news. And anyway, we want to take a moment and just share with you and be transparent about some of the other things that we were going through. Uh, Ron and I have talked about some of these episodes being the final episodes of our career, and they still might be. These might be the final episodes. On the other hand, Cher has been on tour, doing her final tour for the last 20 years, I think. So who knows? If people listen, I think we'll continue to record. Uh, and if not, that's okay too. So, But anyway, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate that. We appreciate you. And we appreciate everyone in the Ron and Don Nation. And we appreciate you being interested in us and everywhere we have gone. You've embraced us. You've shown us friendship. You've shown us love. I was in a coffee shop the other day and a young man by the name of Levi, who must have been about six foot 16, came over and he gave me the biggest hug in the world. And he said, your journey, your journey of self-discovery and recovery saved my life, Don. And now I'm on that same journey of recovery and discovery. And my son and I were sitting there and Levi gave me the biggest hug. And I looked at my son and I said, you know what? That's why we did what we did. That's why we did the Ron and Don radio show. So we could connect with other humans like Levi. We were in San Francisco, young in our radio careers, when Ron decided that he was going to start looking for his birth mom because Ron was born in Mount Vernon, Washington, and his parents are Bob and Alice, who are alive and well today. But Ron, Catherine, your birth mom, is no longer with us. And something happened in the last couple months. Before we get to that, tell us about this journey of finding Catherine. If you've listened to the Ron and Don show for a long time, you you know that I'm adopted or I've, I've talked about it before and I always knew I was adopted. It wasn't a big secret. It was something that was celebrated uh, with my family growing up. And when I was, I was always told when I turned 18, I could go up to Skagit Valley uh, in Mount Vernon, just go into the hospital and they would give me a copy of my original birth certificate with my original, uh, whatever was on that document. And so around the age of 
2021, I did that. I went up to Skagit Valley. Uh, I went to the Skagit Valley Hospital and I said, hey, I'm here for my birth certificate. And they're like, yeah, we don't we do not do it that way anymore. Uh, and I was like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, you got to hire an investigator and go through this whole process. And I was like, ah, I don't have time to do that right now. And, and it seemed expensive and it seemed arduous. And so I didn't do it. And then uh, we got into radio. Uh, we were in Phoenix at the time. And, and I remember this so clearly. It was, it was 1999. And we decided, let's all do a really significant New Year's resolution. Like it's going from, it's the new century. There was all this uh, hoopla about, you know, the 99 and the computers were all going to crash and preppers were going crazy. And it's like, okay, this would be a really great storyline on the radio if we all did something significant and so i was like okay i'm gonna find my birth mother i've uh, put it off all these years i'm gonna do this uh i'm going from when i was 29 to 30 years old and we uh so i hired the investigator they i signed an affidavit they got my she's a woman named mickey she might still she might be listening to this right now she's from washington state uh, Mickey became my investigator. She got my she got my original birth certificate from Superior Court of Skagit County. So she calls me. Uh, and we were in Dallas at the time. Or by the time this happened, we had gotten fired in Phoenix. We got a radio show in Dallas by the time that Mickey and I started working together closely. So she called me and said, hey, um, I, I, I have a name. And I was like, awesome. What What's my birth mother's name? Can't tell you. And I was like, why not? She's like, well, that's not how this works. Uh, I just have to let you know that I found her. And if we get the response from her that's okay, then we can exchange info. I was like, all right, great. So months go by, nothing. Uh, And then I get another phone call. It's like, okay, uh, it wasn't her. I was like, all right. Another couple months go by. I get another call. Okay, I think I found her this time. Great. What's her name? Can't tell you. Where is she? Can't tell you. Uh, But this time it really was her. Uh, they sent a letter that uh, gave some specific dates and asked if these dates were significant. Uh, and then so uh, my birth mother finally reached back. Uh, this was around, I think, Christmas of 2000. Um, so uh, like a whole year went by for this to happen. Um, uh, we ended up exchanging phone numbers, decided to meet. And so around 2000, 2001, uh, I met my birth mother for the first time in Berkeley, California. And it turned out as, as good as, as it could have been. Um, the counselor, one of the things your, your caseworker slash counselor goes through with you when you start this process is they say, um, there's only three reasons why someone's given up for adoption. It's either unwanted pregnancy, rape, or incest. So you need to think about those before we do this process and uh, let me know if you want to continue. So I did want to continue and it was unwanted pregnancy or not unwanted. It was a surprise teenage pregnancy really. And um, so we became, it was, it was crazy. Like we could do a whole show on what it's like to, to meet your birth mother for the first time when you're 30. Uh, and it was amazing and intense. And she has two, uh, her and her current husband have two daughters. Uh, and so I inherited two sisters and immediately became the youngest in the family I grew up with and immediately the oldest in this new family with two other kids. So over the course of these last 17, 18 years, it's just been another family. So like we've done trips together and my uh, sister with, uh, with that side of the family, like we went to Mexico City one time uh, and traveled internationally and we do birthdays and we've done a Christmas together and uh, they have a place in Oregon. So sometimes I'll go to, so like, it's just your regular family. I, I just uh, and have another, another family. And so 
Catherine's been sick for a while with cancer. And uh, right after the stuff happened uh, with the radio show, I got a phone call and said, hey, she's, she's not doing well. You might want to come down. So I got on a plane. This is maybe a week after, maybe, uh, you, you don't remember, it was within a week or 10 days after the stuff that went down on Cairo. And, and you knew that, that she'd I knew been she sick had, for she, quite some time. Yeah, I knew she'd been sick. Yeah. But uh, this was, it was, it was accelerating. So I flew down uh, and was still trying to wrap my b- brain around what had just happened with you and I professionally. And so I went to the hospital and very lucid. We had some great conversations uh, and met with the doctors and went over all that stuff. They really included me as like a full family member, which I, I was grateful for. They didn't, they didn't have to do that, but they did. And then so I spent about a week down there and came back up here. And it wasn't a couple weeks later that I got another phone call. It's like, okay, um, Catherine has decided that she wants to do death with dignity. And I see it was like, you don't have to come down, but she would like you to come down uh, if you can make it. But I know you just came down here and I know you just lost your job. So if, if you can't make it, we understand, but that's the situation. So I actually, it was interesting because I, didn't know what to do. Um, part of me was like, wow, I just saw her. We had some really, that was sort of a good fond memory. Maybe that should be my last memory. And I talked to you on the phone and that first conversation you and I had, you said, yeah, you've done your part. Like if you don't have to go back down there again. Um, and that made a lot of sense. I was like, okay, that seemed, that makes sense. And you talked about your grandmother and some stuff that happened with her. And I was like, yeah, Don makes a lot of sense. Like that, that, that makes sense. And then I got to think about it and, and talk to some other people. I was like, ah, maybe I should go. And so I was really torn. And then I was talking to my, a friend of I that, you know, uh, Gary and shout out to Gary. He's probably listening right now. And Gary said something to me because again, I'm still trying to process the job stuff. Gary said, Ron, this is not about you. This is about her. And what do you, what do you think she would want? And I was like, ah, she would, she would want me to, to be there. So I booked another flight, went down there and, um, I'm going to read to you. This is, I'm starting to get a little emotional. So I'm going to try to make it through this whole thing, but I need to play a piece of music for everybody to set this up. So she decided to do death with dignity on a Saturday and invited some of her lifelong friends. Her obviously her husband was there. One of her, her siblings were there. Um, I of course was there. The daughters were there, and kids, you know, people she'd known her whole life were there at their house. They have these huge. I sent you the picture. Beautiful oak trees. Uh, they live in the foothills uh, outside of Oakland. Uh, in a town there, the, and these giant oak trees, a little creek, like deer come up in the morning. It's a very, uh, really great house in a setting. And she wanted to pass underneath these oak trees. And so that was scheduled to happen on Saturday. It's very bizarre to schedule this, you know? So on the Friday, we had our last one-on-one time. And, um, I need to play this for you at the, 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 at the time when we first met. So back going back 17 years, I heard a song about adoption and I'd never heard another song about adoption. 
in my entire life. It's by a, an artist called Daniel Lanois. He's a big time producer. He produced Bob Dylan and U2 and like Unforgettable Fire and Joshua Tree, all those albums. He was the producer for U2. And, but he's also has a couple records where he's the singer and songwriter. And so I've always liked his stuff. I bought this album back then and there's a song on it called Unbreakable Chain. And so when I heard it, I was like, holy cow, like this is crazy. Mm. Like it's almost, it's almost a, a biography of Catherine and I. Uh, some of the details are, are spooky. So I sent it to her. When we met, I played her the song 17 years ago. I was like, you got to hear this song. I'm really into music. Her and her whole family is very into music. So I played this song for her and it kind of became our song. So I, I want to, I need to play this song for everybody because it comes back to our last Friday. So stick with me here. It's a couple minutes, but listen to these lyrics and put it through the lens of this is an adoption story yeah. song. And real quick, before we play the song, take 30 seconds, explain her journey going from California to Mount Vernon and not telling anybody that she was having a baby by the name of baby Paul, right? Yeah, she actually, it's funny that you said it. She, she didn't like it when we used that name. Uh, and she heard us talk about it one time. She's like, oh man, when Don said baby Paul, that hurt my feelings. Um, but that's what was on that original birth certificate because of the, of the doctor. Yeah, she uh, got pregnant as a teenager, big Catholic family, didn't want to. Uh, she basically came up here because Washington, uh, you could have a baby under the age of 21 and not have to tell your parents. In California at the time, you had to tell your parents. So she came up here under the guise of going to Skagit Valley Community College, uh, which she did attend, and then uh, gave me up for adoption and went back to California and, and did not tell her parents. So um, this was the song, because it's going to play a part. Um, so just think of this as uh, an adoption song that I, I heard around 2000, 2001, and I played it for her back then. You wake up and there's something that tugging at your sleeve It's not the bitter battle one in your dreams Held on by the chain, the unbreakable chain Held there by the chain the unbreakable chain You walk and you know that the wind is not passing you by It's speaking and you listen and the tears don't come now when you cry Cry, cry, cry and won't break the unbreakable chain Cry and won't break the unbreakable chain It's 30 years ago when you live with your decision You talk to him in a prayer You send out your transmission But a prayer won't break the unbreakable chain Your prayers won't break the unbreakable chain Baby's not yours, but he walks the streets of your city. He wants to know you, there's no self-pity. Always pulling at your heart with the unbreakable chain. Pulling at your heart with the unbreakable chain. 
You put an ad in the paper It's foolish but maybe Maybe you'll see Cause he's searching for Mama me Oh mama here Mama feel the unbreakable chain Mama feel the unbreakable chain You can't believe that it's now It's turned itself around You're frightened of the way that you look But you meet him there in town Oh, the joy and the fear Of the unfatable pain The joy and the fear Of the unfatable pain You say hello to your boy and he says, Mama, you've awoken. Ah, yes, you have broken the unbreakable chain. Yes, you have broken the unbreakable chain. You have broken the unbreakable chain. Yeah, you have broken the unbreakable chain. So the Friday before, the day before the Death with Dignity was scheduled, I, I had about an hour uh, with her alone. And, and right after that hour, I went out and typed these notes down to remember it. Uh, it's not really edited. It's not my most polished piece of writing, but this is what that meeting was like the last time. We listened to a song that I sent her when we were reunited. It's called The Unbreakable Chain, and it's the only song I've ever heard about an adoption reunion. We cried, and I held her hand. She asked me to play it again. To keep it from being unbearable, she talked about how she came to hate the taste of water. So she asked for a Dr. Pepper. The last time she drank one was 60 years ago. She said the first sip was divine, and now it's too sweet. <clears throat> I don't know if I could read this, Don. I need you to read that part. I told her we did it. We found each other again. And we cried. And she said she was jealous on my first birthday that I wasn't there. But was also happy because she knew that I was loved. She talked about being wounded by the fact that for a week I carried a name that she did not choose. Then she tried some pineapple juice after the Dr. Pepper. In the first sip, it transported her to Hawaii on the beach with the ocean breeze in her face. In the second sip, it upset her stomach for the next 12 hours. Of course I remember that song. I've listened to it many times. She closed her eyes. She tapped her foot under the blankets. It's 30 years ago, and you live with your decision. You talk to him in a prayer. You send out your transmission. But a prayer won't break the unbreakable chain. Your prayers won't break the unbreakable chain. That part always gets me. And I agree. Her husband and brother uh, come in to give her meds. And I put my hand on their shoulders. Tell me your trip about your trip to Barcelona with your brother. Did she like the Sagrada 
familiar. And she shows me some photos uh, on her phone. I love the smell of fresh air after it rains. And I do too. And she talked about a conversation we had years ago. And I wondered if he had lived a life well lived. And she said she thought a lot about that in the last month. And she concluded that she had lived and that I had too. And part of it was from my family growing up. And part of it was from her. And I nodded in agreement. When the water is too much, she can still chew on ice. Her lifelong friend was waiting outside the door. Please don't leave. I won't. I will be right outside. Thanks for reading that. So, yeah, the next day, um, in probably one of the most intense things I've ever been a part of, like her family and friends were around her, and she did not hesitate. I know there's a lot of politics around death with dignity. Um, she was in a lot of pain. It was not getting better. Like the, the cancer had won, and she defiantly did it. Yeah. And uh, it was actually really inspiring. Hmm. How does it actually happen? I mean, it's a series of syringes with different meds in them. Uh, I don't know if this Washington State's exactly the same as California, but there's a doctor there and a nurse, and they go through a whole legal process, which is actually sort of arduous when someone's in that state. Um, but yeah, it was one of the bravest things I've ever seen. You're standing in a courtyard, and I saw a picture in the courtyard. Who were all these people in the courtyard with you and uh, and Catherine and your family? A lot of them were her friends, uh, some co-workers, some relatives, uh, her husband and the girls and me. And, you know, people were telling stories about, remember that time in junior high when we did that thing or we went on that trip? Um it was it was very intense, very beautiful, very purposeful, uh, very brave, and like I'm actually after seeing that I'm I'm glad that Washington State also has that law just as a aside because it's when you have the choice to say okay I can have two to three weeks of just agony where I can't do anything or I can have my friends around me and and sort of mark the day and just make that choice um I, I was very honored to be there i was glad i went and it was really uh difficult and rewarding yeah feel free to push back and i'll, I'll just ask this this one question your mother alice may have taken this harder than you did your mom took it very hard didn't she uh, i mean i think my mom uh, I don't, I don't, my mom was very grateful and has an amazing attitude about the fact that if it wasn't for Catherine, then I wouldn't have been in, in the, their life. So yeah, the fact that they got to know each other later in life and could bond over that was a pretty special thing. Yeah. So, so you- I guess the, the takeaway when people had asked me about 
oh my god what what happened at cairo and what's going on with the show and all of these things um i was really in a in two spaces one is yeah like i i get that there's a curiosity about what happened and we uh, there's nothing for me to hide behind in that but this when this happened it was sort of like yeah guy loses job like that's that's a story that happens every day like not everybody has a front page story on the Seattle Times about it. Mm-hmm. Like so, that is obviously a lot more public and a lot. It's different in that regard. Yeah. But people lose their job, and and people's companies downsize, and people managers make decisions that people don't understand. Sometimes that happens in life. Uh, I had never been through this, and I, I I think the Venn diagram of people that go to a death with dignity ceremony who also happen to be adopted and reunited with that birth parent has got to be <laughs> very, very small. Like, so that situation seemed way more unique and, and bigger and more important than the other stuff that happened. Uh, and I kept the, my mantra uh, through all of that was like, this is not about me. Like, this is not, this is, it was tempting to, to almost fold this into a narrative about me look at all these hardships that have hit me one after the next. And it's like, you know what? It's, it's not about me. Like this is about someone making a a very brave decision. So yeah, I I think that I I wanted to tell this story publicly because uh, it's important to her husband that other families have this option that it becomes, it becomes, easier in the sense of the administ- the, admin- the actual administration of the legal jargon and the way the interface with the state and the doctors you know he's he's talked to me about wanting to advocate for the people that are making the choice to make that a little smoother because it was a little bit cumbersome and a little bit uh there were some things were like eh, this the fact that the state wants you to do that was a little bit and again, I want to be critical of that's that's not what this is about. But I wanted to be public because he has talked about he wants to be an advocate for that. It, there was a beauty in it. There was a bravery in it. And a lot of people have asked me what has happened with that. So the fact that that story is now, that chapter of it has ended. Uh, and the fact that it happened right on the heels of, of our professional situation was challenging yeah. <laughs> it, it was it was not easy did you feel like a family member i did hmm. they 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 treated me like a family member hmm. so let's take daniel to the break here and the cool thing is we don't have to take 13 minute breaks anymore we just take 30 seconds and then we can come back and uh ron you've always you've always told people to be careful about reaching out if you've been adopted because maybe you've been adopted for reasons you don't want to know about. And in this particular case, uh, this ended up being a really beautiful love story. And I'm always touched with your parents, Bob and Alice, who vacationed with Catherine and John uh, and your whole entire family. And your, your mom and dad couldn't have been more supportive, which is really a beautiful thing too. There wasn't jealousy, there wasn't pushback. There was, there's always been support from them. So 
I love that. Anyway. It's the Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network. You can find us at ronanddon.com. It's speaking and you listen And the tears don't come now when you cry Cry, cry, cry And won't break the unbreakable chain Cry and won't break the unbreakable chain It's 30 years ago And you live with your decision You talk to him in a prayer Send out your transmission But a prayer won't break The unbreakable chain Your prayers won't break The unbreakable chain Alright, thanks for stopping by The Ron and Don Show Only on the Ron and Don uh, Radio Network And uh, that's episode number three uh, It's in the books How you feeling about it? Uh, all that what you share oh it's intense i, I think I, I wanted to be public with it to, in efforts to i hope help some people and maybe maybe change some hearts and minds of folks that not everybody agrees with these laws that have been put in place and uh i, I was a little unclear about it until you see it in person and you see someone's uh journey and I just read another story about a guy that's dealing with this same thing where he moved from New Jersey to California because he wanted to be under this law. And so when you listen to him talk, he has sarcoma and he's like, hey, I want to be the one in control. I want to be the one that uh, when my quality of life is past the point of no return, that I get to say so in this. And so I, I hope that it gets out there. I've spoken with Catherine's uh, husband and with the, my half-sisters. And so they um, want to be advocates for this and want people to really think about it and have it be as humane and as free as possible. Yeah. 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 Thanks for sharing that, Ron. Yeah. You're brave, man. Lots of courage. And uh, thanks for stopping by the uh, Ron and Don Show. We appreciate all of you. Thanks for buying a T-shirt. And again, $5 goes toward helping cops help kids. Subscribe. There's lots of different ways that you can do it, right? Yeah, iTunes, Google Play, uh, Anchor, the, the place where you host it. YouTube has been, uh, thanks for everybody that's subscribed. We're up o- over 2,000 subscribers to YouTube, so thanks for that. Uh, we're on all the different players. And you know what we really could use is people to share this. Uh, I've said it a couple times. We Our, our social media platform was taken away from us for the show uh, and, and taken down to zero. And so we're trying to rebuild that up. And if you can help us rebuild that, uh, that would go a long way and, and leverage your social media to help us get the word back out because there are people that probably listen to us on the show and don't even know that we're back yet so your help would really appreciate it. there we go all right reach out to us ronanddon.com has everything click on the microphone for more information on the radio show and then uh click on just two guys standing there with sunglasses on thinking they're starsky and hutch those are the two guys trying to sell real estate and uh could use your help with that power by window there. all right We'll see you next week for episode number four. The Ron and John Show drops every Monday morning by about 6 o'clock or when Ron gets up. It's the Ron and Don Show only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network. RonandDon.com.